You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. Welcome to the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You're joined by thousands of photographers listening to this show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. I'm Jeff Harmon, the host for this episode, and here with me to talk about some recent news or uh, goings on in our Facebook group, I guess I should say, is Brent Bergham. How are you, Brent? Hey, doing well, Jeff. Great. Good to be here right. with you. So I'm going to get straight to... Uh, a little bit of an update first, and then um, and then we're gonna get we're gonna talk about backup for photographers today. And the the update is Lightroom Classic. And I, I every time there's a release from Adobe, and I, I love it. I really love the interaction from our listeners. But I get I get inundated with people saying, "So is it okay? Is it okay? Can I upgrade?" And I'm I'm glad that's there because there is like you know a real possibility that you could end up with some some problems if every time you see that there's a Lightroom update box come up on your on your computer if you say yes go ahead and install it then uh, you know we we've had just some challenges and it I I feel for Adobe a little bit here because they have a a big market that they have to cover with all with you know all types of computers and it's it's a tough job now that said, we are all paying for this service, so they need <laughs> they need to nail it. They need to get it right, and uh, and hopefully we'll be able to do it. But I, so I just think that it, there's a good thing to do here to take just a tiny bit of caution. You know, people are super excited because there is a actually a really cool new feature in this this version eight point three update. Um, but I still uh, and so the question is, do I give my photo taco seal of approval? for the release. And I, I don't want to do it yet. It's just too early. Um, just in general, I, I think waiting at least two weeks to see, or, or maybe even a little longer to see kind of what come happens in the forums. If there's any patches that come out really quickly, it's, it's good advice just because it's such an important tool for most of you that are listening that you, it's, it's good not to just immediately jump on a new update I've heard also from plenty of listeners who do that. They've ignored that advice. And then they go jump on the update only to find that they had a big, big problem. The The good thing is in most cases right now, Adobe's at least made it so that it is really pretty easy to roll back. You can go back to the previous version without too much trouble. And in most cases, you're, uh, you're back up and running. But occasionally when they make an update, they also change like the database behind Lightroom, for example, and going back really isn't as much of an option, um, especially if you've used it for a little bit and have edited some photos. You can go to a backup and and get going again, uh, but it's it's a it can be a challenge. So, still, my advice: I if it's something that's really critical to you and your business, you can't afford to have it slow you down with the client work you might be doing. Uh, my advice is you, you should wait. <laughs> wait to update until uh, other people have gone through it and make sure there's not any significant issues. All right. With that disclaimer out there, uh, version 8.3.1 has been released as we record this episode. So by the time you hear this, it'll have been out a day or two. And um, and so the question now is, well, okay, there's your first patch release. So are we good to go? What they did in this release, what they, why they had to release a patch, and it's pretty early to release a patch uh, release uh, update for Lightroom Classic. 
they uh, they had some export challenges, and I've we've seen a few people in the Facebook group say, "Hey, my export's not working. Something's wrong here." And uh, Adobe absolutely confirmed that, and that's what this patch addresses. So there were two issues. I'm not going into the details of what they were. You've if you've seen them, then then you kind of you'll know if you hit them. And this patch uh, is supposed to fix it. It just barely got released, so I can't tell you how effective that has been. If there people have said they still have issues with export, but at least that does cover the primary problem, or supposed to cover the primary problem that we I have seen in the forums that most people have have said. There's been some other things that have been raised, but so far Adobe hasn't been able to say that this has been a consistent problem with people. Some other ones, for example. I've run into one <laughs> just in my own usage, and it's but it's not particular to version 8.3. I thought it was for a while. I've done more testing, and it's not unique to 8.3. Um, I didn't notice it until 8.3, and it, I don't know. I don't know why I didn't because it's it's pretty obvious. So what I have is I have an image of a Milky Way that I took many years ago. I think it was 2015 that I took this image. And it was, you know, I had, I didn't have uh, really good lenses then either. So the the image is is super noisy. It needs a lot of love and care (laughs) in Lightroom. And and after editing it, so it's become an image that's really good for me to test with. And I haven't done it for, you know, the whole time, but um, with every release, I should say, but I, I have started to use it because it does tend to be a really good image to go and test like new features, especially. So when this new texture slider came out, I wanted to go reprocess this image that needs so much love and attention inside of Lightroom, a lot of adjustments and, and see what texture brought to the table. And I noticed as I was editing my image that in the develop module, I'd get it to look how I wanted in the develop module. And the texture slider was absolutely helping me to do a better job of processing this photo that needs so much care. And uh, But I noticed that if I switched, well, actually, so what first happened was I got it to look exactly how I wanted in the develop module. I handled the noise to sharpness kind of exchange you have to make. And when I exported the image, because I wanted to have like an example about how texture was helping me to process this image, when I looked at the image that got exported, it looked terrible. It was really, really bad, like over sharpened like crazy. And uh, it showed the noise really big. And I was like, what happened? Do I have, maybe I have output sharpening on. So I went and looked. No, that wasn't on. I didn't have any, or I had normal on. And I took it off, re-exported, same thing. It still looked really over-sharpened. And I was like, what's going on? Maybe there's an issue with export in this version. And so I test on a few other images, and it didn't seem nearly as extreme because the, the processing wasn't nearly as extreme on, on those other images. And then I just happened to notice as I was switching in between the loop view in library and the develop module. So it, for people who may not know, loop view and library in, in uh, Lightroom Classic, that gives you a view that looks very similar to what you're used to seeing in the develop module. The hotkey for it is E. If you want to hit E, then you get to the loop view. And it's it's like a really fast way to be able to see your image um, fit or fill view ver- at, at, that looks just like develop. And I use it constantly, use it all the time so that I can uh, quickly compare images because the the loop view, it, it loads the images faster than develop does. 
So I was I happened to be switching between the two a little bit, and I noticed that loop view looked just like what it looked like in develop. I mean, sorry, in the export when I did my export, and I thought, what? That's weird. It looks way different in loop view than it does in develop. And so then I, I did a whole lot more comparison and testing, and 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 it went on for quite some time, which is my photo taco episode that I've been preparing for for the texture sliders delayed because I've been working on the on this thing that I've been seeing. Um, it was just a dramatic difference. So I I did actually downgrade to eight point two point one, the previous release. Tested the same thing with the same image and no texture slider, and it did the same thing. Loop view looked sharper. And uh, a little darker too. It wasn't the same brightness. And then, and in develop, it looked softer and like the the noise was being handled better. And it looked much brighter. And it just is is weird. And the the it normally wouldn't be a problem. And Victoria Bampton, she's the the Lightroom queen. She's let us let me know in the Facebook groups that um, this is normal. This has been around for a long time because I mean, obviously the reason I use loop view at all is because it's faster to view images. There's a different rendering process that's happening on your photos for loop view than there is for develop. And so it's been normal that they don't look identical. They don't, they're not exactly the same. Although if you go to one-to-one, it should be, and it is, I've checked that it's pretty identical when you go one-to-one or, or better into the photo. So, but this is such a dramatic thing and I'd be okay with them looking a little different if at least the exported image matched what I saw in develop and it doesn't, it just absolutely does not match what I see in develop. And that is where there's a problem because you're doing things and you're making your adjustments in develop. So that's not going to work to have it go where you have to go make your adjustments in develop, then go to loop view and see how it looks and then go back to develop and make more adjustments to try to get it to look the way you want in loop view so that your export will be good. Does that make sense, Brent? Yeah. And it also would make me really frustrated. I think I'm just listening to you here. I'm just like, you know, I haven't seen this in my own images. I guess, I don't know if I've just not been paying enough attention, but you've also said, yeah, you know, you pretty much pushed this image uh, in your, in your developing and so I just like, I, I don't know. That just, I understand the need for the, the two different rendering engines because like you mentioned, the library is definitely faster and yeah. I'm using that more frequently than, you know, when you have to dive in. But yeah, once you make your changes, you expect those changes to be exported. Yeah. And that's just, oh man, that would be really frustrating to me uh, to do that. Uh, I guess, you know, as also as, as you're talking about this, I'm just thinking this is one more reason i don't like to do really fine detailed work uh when it comes to printing out of out of lightroom because it's just it's super convenient there's a lot of things that make things really quick and easy and efficient but if you want if you want to be detailed uh jumping into your image editor like photoshop is still going to give you better results and more predictable i should say results is the is the best way to look at it right so you know i've had i've i've put this as a bug into adobe um, I've had tons of people offer, well, try this, try that, try this, try that. And none of it has mattered. It, it's for this image and for the, the extreme levels of processing that I've used. Yeah. Uh, it just is a problem. And now I, and I have to say here, it, it's this image, right? It's, I've looked at a whole bunch of other images now and, and yes, now that I'm looking for it, now that I'm specifically trying to notice, 
I do see a bit of a difference and, and it's probably been there the whole time. And I just haven't paid attention enough. Um, but in this particular image, it's a problem in general. It probably is not a big deal in general. I right. think that you don't have such a drastic difference that the exported image that you're looking at is going to look way different than you'd had it in develop or, or any of those kinds of the problems that I'm talking about with this specific image. I still think though, it's something that I, I'd love. I want to, I'm hoping Adobe's going to take a look at uh, to see if there's maybe some tweaks they can make to make it a little closer, even for this extreme image and mm-hmm. uh, see if they can find any kind of a problem. We'll see. I don't know. That's not why I would say I still don't think it's time for people to upgrade even to 8.3.1 just yet. Give it another week. Let's see if in, in next week's episode, um, if, if it's something I can recommend, if there's no other major issues that come out, um, you know, they hopefully have fixed the export issues that they they did have the real export issues, not the one that I've noticed <laughs> and uh, and see if, if it's going to be good. And then then that texture slider is so fun. So I I can tell I know why everyone wants to get on this. They want to go upgrade and uh, because that texture slider, they want to go play with it. And um, and I totally understand that. And, and you can run both versions. So I, I suppose there is a pretty safe path in this case for this release. You can go back to 8.2.1 very painlessly. And so you, you can you can have both running side by side. You can have both installed on your computer at the same time. So you can switch between them without any difficulty. And if you run into a problem, you just go back to 8.2.1. So I, I suppose there's it's as safe as possible <laughs> to do that yeah. upgrade. But if you can't afford any disruption, just stick with 8.2.1 for another week. And then and we'll see... We'll see what happens from there. All right. Well, and if all you want to do is play with that texture slider to see how it goes so you can prepare yourself, update, upgrade your Photoshop, and then the Adobe Camera Raw gets upgraded, and then bring it in through Bridge, oh, and sure. you'll be able to have... It certainly looks slightly differently than Lightroom, but right, right. it's still going to behave hopefully the same way anyway. Very true. It has for years. But that's actually what I do at the school uh, because my photo students, I don't teach Lightroom in the first class. It's just, you know... I have people who literally this quarter, she's like, I've never used a USB drive before. I'm I'm like, are you kidding me? And uh, so throwing them into Lightroom in addition to teaching them all about using a computer is not a good solution. So I use Bridge and uh, that texture slider is there in Adobe Camera Raw. Yeah. Have you played with it? Not the slider itself. No, it's... um, I've I've just been like, oh, look, here's a new slider, everybody. And just kind of went on from there. So no, I haven't had time to play with it myself. All right, I, it's fun. It's uh, it's so cool. I'm I'm gonna have a photo taco episode on it. We're not gonna talk about it right here, right now. But it's it's really cool, and I totally get why photographers want want that. Yeah, in Lightroom sure. and and wanting to upgrade because it's really neat. It they Adobe had a good idea here. It was it was awesome. All right, nice. let's let's move on to our our actual topic now that we've taken so long on the <laughs> Lightroom Classic update. We want to talk a little bit about backup for photographers in this episode. I, I did this because I've seen it pop up in the Facebook groups quite a bit again. Um, we've had a lot of people joining the Facebook group in the last couple of weeks. It's re- it's up a lot. And uh, we're so glad. So glad to have new listeners. Glad to ha- that we have uh, new people joining the Facebook group. We've also had to turn away a ton of people. <laughs> I've personally declined lots and lots of people because they don't answer the question. We've talked about this on episodes for so long now. There is no excuse for someone joining the Facebook group who has actually listened to the podcast to not easily know an answer to the question. 
And the question is simple. It's name a host on the network. And it could be any of us. And uh, all that's all they have to do. The only first name is all that you need, too. It's, as long as you can name a host. And I'm turning away more people than we're allowing in because they just they don't answer the question. They leave the question blank. So if you got turned away and you're listening to the episode, go ask to join again and this time answer the question. It's, it's kind of how we make sure that we keep bots and spammers out of there. We only want people who are actually listening to the show in the group. So um, anyway, we've had we've got a bunch of new people. And, you know, I can tell some of them are just starting into their photography journey where I, I totally can remember and relate to them just starting. That was not very long ago for me either. And, um, and they, so they have a question about backup. They've kind of hit the point where they realize I have some files here that are really important to me now. These, these are files that I've really spent some time learning how to create and I don't want to lose them. And they, you know, it, everyone should be backing up. It's a reality for everyone today. Everyone has a computer. You, most, most people have a computer these days, especially photographers. Um, and, and so backup is actually, you know, it's a reality for almost everyone. And they're struggling to like, or, or not struggling. They, they just want advice. Like, I don't know what I'm doing to do backup. So what do you do for backup? That's kind of... I've seen a lot of questions come up. So I actually have two other podcast episodes, two photo taco episodes where I talk about this in a lot of detail. So we're not going to go to nearly that much detail today on this episode. Um, if you want to learn more about how to do backup for photographers, then go to phototacopodcast.com. And in the search box, you can just put in backup and you'll you'll see the links to the to the episodes. But the the names of them are The Ultimate Guide to Backup for Photographers. And there's another one called Online Backup. And so in, in both of those, I go into a lot of detail. Um, some of what we covered, we're going to cover today is, is, I mean, it's obviously repeated in there because it, this is some basics to it. But um, it really, I want, I want you to go check that out. The Online Backup one, by the way, is an interview with Jim Goldstein. And he's, I think he was the marketing director for cloud backup provider Backblaze. So I asked him a lot of questions about that service. Um, it was related to when CrashPlan changed. Like CrashPlan was one of the last other options besides Backblaze for online backup. And then they changed and got out of the consumer market entirely. They only offer business solutions today. So uh, I asked him about like, is Backblaze going to be around for us who are photographers and, and don't want to pay the um, the far more expensive business kind of service and um, so you should go check out that in that episode as well to to get some the lowdown on that. Um, so so Brent, today I want to kind of talk about basics for backup, and it's tough because this is a it can get pretty technical, it can get pretty complicated, and in in the little bit just before the end of the show, we're gonna have to go there because. All yep. photographers really need to plan to go there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, and and it's, it's, you know, like it or not, when you won't, for, for many of you, you won't. Um, it, there's just limits to how we can keep things simple, relatively inexpensive, but it, it's, you're going to have to look at it like a short-term solution. Short-term meaning you, you can kick that can down the road a couple of times and maybe get several years out of it, but... At some point, if you stick with photography, if you really work on mastering it, like like this podcast is trying to help you with, 
then uh, you're probably going to have to face a more complicated and far more expensive solution. So with that, let's talk about 321 Backup. Brent, are you familiar with 321 Backup? Yeah, you bet. It's about how many copies you have and where you have them and all that kind of good stuff. So yeah. it's it's just a a nice simple, I guess, you know, some kind of name, moniker, whatever you want to call it, uh, that just describes um, the, the basic idea of where your files reside and how you manage them, which probably can help keep you keep it easy for planning because that's one of the things that I think I want to get across too is having a backup plan is is something that is really important to be thinking about and having this three two one system can really uh, help you execute that plan right okay so this is not an idea that we've come up with <laughs> this is this is an idea we'll, that we'll claim it though <laughs> maybe <laughs> it's been around forever for yeah. so so long uh and and not specific to photographers this is a uh I don't know, a, a thought process or, or an easy way because 321, everyone knows 321. It's, it's a very simple moniker. Um, it's an easy way to kind of conceptualize what makes an actual backup system. Anything short of this has massive problems and holes and ways that you can lose your data. Even though you're doing some sort of a backup, there's issues that can happen with it if you don't follow at least 321. So let me outline for you as simply as I can what 321 means. So you do with 321 strategy for backup, you shouldn't consider any of your files to actually be backed up until it meets all of this criteria. And that is you're not backed up until you have three copies of your file. There has to be three, not two, three. You have to have three copies of the file. It has to be two of them and have to be on different mediums. And a long time ago, that used to mean like one on your hard drive, one on your tape drive, or which if you don't know what a tape drive is, don't worry about it. It's oh. something that was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, something like that. That that you was originally what they were thinking of. Today, yes, two different hard drives. And we're gonna talk about that a little bit more, could satisfy that. But two different, so three copies. Two different mediums, and then that really, really important one is one of them has to be off-site. One of those three copies of your image has to be not in your house <laughs> or in your your uh, office where where you might have, if you're a, a small business, have a studio, and you you have your images on on hard drives in your studio, has to be out of that area, not connected to your computer. And that one becomes, I think, the very biggest challenge, especially in the more complicated and more expensive solution we're going to talk about at the end. So I, I hope that makes sense to everybody what 321 is. Again, that's three copies on two different mediums, and one has to be off-site. If you can meet that criteria, you have a really good chance of surviving almost anything you can think of as far as your, your images go, and a very good chance of recovering across all types of disaster scenarios, your drive failing, fire, flood, earthquake, whatever kinds of things may even threaten your house or your studio, it's going to make it so you can cover you. So, so that's kind of the objective. That's the goal in your backup solution. Whatever kind of backup solution you're going to use, try to make sure that those elements are all covered so that you can, you can recover your images and have them around for a long, long time. Anything else you want to add there, Brent? 
No, it sounds good. It's it's just about helping you establish that plan and you know, like you had mentioned with that one being off site, that's you know, where you you had mentioned backblaze, that's where something like that comes into into play. Uh, what I currently do, actually, I ha- since I have two offices, one at home, one at the at my work office, I literally have two sure, backups there, sure. and I just take my drive to both places. And so technically, I have the the one offsite uh, idea going on, and uh, three copies of the data. It's just a slightly different way of of going about that, but I still have that three uh, copies of the data, and it's able to be very easy for me to uh, get that backup because I just plug in the drive, and it automatically takes over. And it backs it up, and it's it's really nice to to be able to do that. Not everyone can do that because you might have terabytes and terabytes of data, and so we'll get into the, some of those solutions uh, end of the show, as you mentioned. But yeah. um, still, it's uh, it's it's very convenient to work that three, two, one in in the in the way that it makes sense for you, depending on what's what your solution is and how many uh, ways you can do that. Right, and and I think that's an important note here. We're going to talk about some some specifics. That are pretty easy. Um, some, some that I will recommend, even some equipment that I'll recommend. But there's lots of ways to solve this problem. And if there's a way that works for you, and you can meet that three, two, one objective, then you're great. That's that's yeah. awesome. So we, we can't c- possibly cover every option <laughs> that there is. We, there's not time to do that. Um, so if, if there's a different solution that works for you. And you cover three, two, one, then great. That's awesome. Go for it. That's that's going to be wonderful. Uh, all right. So let, let's talk about the simple, inexpensive, but I'm going to label it short term. Short term being, again, you could probably go several years because I have <laughs> with the with this <laughs> supposed short term solution. Um, thank goodness drive sizes have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger so that the short term, so I can kick the can down the road a little more before investing in the, the far more expensive and more complicated solution. But let, let's, let's start off as simple as possible. I, I want to talk first to those, those that have just joined the group and are clearly asking the question because they don't have any kind of backup in place today. Maybe they have, uh, faced their, uh, their issue with, I just barely, filled up my hard drive on my computer. And now I I realized I've got to do something about this. And most of the time that also triggers the thought of, plus I don't have anything backed up. And these are really important to me now. These images that I've got on my computer are super important to me. So Brent, what, what is like the least expensive, simplest solution uh, that, or, or maybe just some, a photographer who's in that category. They're just, finally facing this problem for the very first time, what kind of a solution would you recommend to them? I would recommend any type of USB 3.0 external hard drive to begin with. It certainly depends on your what your needs are as far as what size of drive and what style of drive that you want to get because there's just tons of options available. But getting that separate drive from your computer is about all you can do. Now, certainly depending on the nature of your computer, for instance, I use a Mac mini at home and at the office, I use a power a MacBook pro. There's no chance for me to put a, in a, an additional drive internally in right, that. Right. And so we got to go external. Now, if you can do an internal drive and, and you want to do that, wonderful. Go ahead and do that. But getting yourself just a, an additional drive, you know, I would say a minimum of a terabyte. I don't see how it makes right. sense to buy a smaller than a terabyte these days, uh, just because the cost, you know, per per gigabyte kind of idea is just so good uh, when you get the the larger drives. And 
you got to want to be careful too. I think they offer up to 12 terabyte options now right. in the standard spinning drives. I might be a little wary of something that big, but uh, as, as the drive manufacturers keep pushing that technology, just I would say buy what you can afford and comfortably afford is probably a better way to even put it. Don't, don't push yourself here right. uh, if you're just at this threshold of needing to, to spread it out. But you also got to think too, I think to just cover ourselves with this 3 to one idea, you really should be thinking about buying two of those hard drives. Because you want to be able to have one of those to be your backup and and be able to safely store those uh, on that separate unit. Because right now, if you're in that position where you only have the one drive in your computer and that's where everything resides and you don't have a backup of that, I'm really glad they're freaking out because you really should be getting nervous about filling that up and everything's going to just go away one day. And we don't want that to happen. So getting finding a an option that gives you two drives. Now, whether you get a spinning drive or an SSD, you know, with a solid state drive, or you get a RAID, there, there's lots of different options available and whatever fits your budget. But to begin with, a single uh, USB drive, or I should say two USB drives, will, will get you covered for a great starting point. Right. I, I'm glad you, you brought that up with uh i hope they're thinking about it and and that's <laughs> i'm i that's what I, I was glad to see it in the facebook group that it became like a topic again this week for for some of these new people who've just joined the facebook group but if you have if you're listening to this and you are a, a fairly established photographer at this point and you don't have that three two one backup need met you're you don't have a reliable solution that provides all of those elements then please, please, please <laughs> go take care of that. Like pause what you're doing with your creative editing or whatever it is and and take care of getting these things backed up because it, it's it's not a question of if it's going to happen. <laughs> it's when it's going to happen. Oh, yeah. And uh, it, it's just a reality. These hard drives, I mean, even SSDs, they are more robust in, in many ways, superior in both speed and robustness over the magnetic spinning drives. Um, to to last longer, or at least they don't fail for the same reason. But they will fail. They absolutely will fail. They wear out, and I'm not going to go into the technical details of it right now. But they also fail. So you can't say, "Well, I have an SSD, so I'm good. I don't have to worry about all of the the normal things of hard drives crashing." Now SSDs also fail. They have a limited lifetime. It's significant enough that they're they're fine for use. Um, but that was actually one of the ma- major challenges when they first came out was. How do we make these things last longer? Because they huh. they, they wore out really fast. So um, anyway, uh, I, I I really like that. So the solution that I'd recommend, like like you said, two drives at a minimum, and then if you can add that online backup, you don't have to use Backblaze, but I really rec- can highly personally recommend Backblaze. I've been using the service for a long time. There's been some questions too in the Facebook group about that. Some people have had challenges. If your internal hard drive fills up. Like you have no room left on your internal hard drive, Backblaze is also going to not work. It needs a place where it it's I'll call it a staging area. It needs a place on your drive where it can break up big files into smaller pieces and upload them. And if you don't have any room on your drive or so such little room on your drive, it's going to stop working. And mo- almost any online backup solution is going to function that way. Um, so you know it it's a it's another thing to be concerned with, I guess, or, or aware of. 
as you're trying to use some of these online services. So um, that was total aside. But as you're <laughs> as you're investing in this external drive, like you you realized I I have filled up my drive, my internal drive, and you probably didn't think about backup initially. You were work, you were worrying about ISO and aperture and <laughs> shutter speed and, and the good things that we're encouraging you to to pay attention to and learn. That's awesome. But make sure that you take care of this backup with, at the point where you are getting external drives because you, you've run out of room on your computer. Um, make sure that the solution you use or whatever you go with to expand your storage needs includes backup at that point. So buying a drive, like you said, Brent, USB 3, Thunderbolt 3 um, is kind of an option too. They tend to be more expensive. It's It's really a shame to me that Thunderbolt kind of got associated with like premium <laughs> and yeah. and it made it so that there were so, there were, weren't many people offering it for one uh th- with thunderbolt 3 it's more ubiquitous there's uh, the thunderbolt connection itself is more ubiquitous because uh, it used to be like primarily just mac that had thunderbolt 1 and 2 and pcs didn't tend to have them some did but most part for the most part pcs didn't have them and then that kind of led to vendors for hard drive units, external hard drives to not, to, well, to charge a premium. They charged a, a massive premium if they offered a Thunderbolt 1 or 2 connection for the drives. And with Thunderbolt 3, because it's it's pretty ubiquitous, it's on a lot of PCs now, as well as the Macs, then uh, it I, I hope to see more vendors offering hard drives that that connect that way. So far, I don't think it's really worked out. <laughs> so far, it's no. still more expensive. But uh, I hope that the as the demand is increased, that more vendors are going to be willing to go in that area because it is a much faster connection than USB. And so, so I hope so. But it, but regardless, USB is still a a fine solution to this. It's gonna it's gonna be a a, a adequate solution for speed. Um, certainly, Thunderbolt's faster, and internal is going to be faster than USB three. But uh, but it's it's a decent solution. USB 3.0, and then you you need to make sure. And most computers today have many USB 3.0 ports, or or even better. So uh, so that shouldn't be a problem if you have a, a fairly new, like you know, three, four, or five year old computer. You should have uh, those those kinds of options for those ports. So that's going to work fine. Uh, I don't think brand matters all that much today. Um, there's lots of discussions about it. Uh, you, you know the the big players in the external market are uh, really kind of down to three at this point, for the most part. There's there's some others, but Seagate, Western Digital, and Toshiba they're all good options. And you may have like a, a techie friend tell you some like horror story about X brand. They they had a you know massive problem with a whole bunch of them or something like that. But and occasionally there is a model that does have a, a like much higher failure rate than others. But just generally, you're, you're going to be fine with any of them. I and mean, what I would do is I'd go look through whatever store that you you like to shop at, and you know just pick whichever one's like the least expensive at the, on that day, and uh, and go with that one. And, and I think in general you're going to be you're going to be pretty fine. I don't think the brand is all that important. Uh, the specs are what matters. So a minimum of USB 3.0. We've talked about potential for Thunderbolt. Um, but USB 3.0, I wouldn't suggest using anything less than that, or it's going to really slow things down. You're going to struggle to use Lightroom. Uh, you're going to struggle in a lot of scenarios, even with Photoshop and the needs to write out to, to the file system. It's it's going to be a challenge. So USB 3.0, again, shouldn't be hard to find. Most everything is going to be at least that today anyway. 
Then uh, size-wise, Brent mentioned one terabyte. I, I agree. I wouldn't go less than a terabyte if you're buying an external storage solution today. They'll run you about 50 bucks as I, I research this just a little bit, see what current prices are on everything. So about 50 bucks for a terabyte is not too bad, especially because you have to be thinking as you're getting this stuff, I need at least two. I got to buy two of these to make sure I have that that two in the three, two, one uh, backup strategy. So got to buy at least two of them. So 50 bucks for one of them. That's one terabyte USB 3.0 uh, here in June 2019. Then there is uh, for about twice the storage, you get two terabytes. It only goes up to $70, which to me, I would do <laughs> an extra 20 bucks. And okay, it ends up being an extra 40 bucks because you have to get two of them. But uh, you double your storage, and that's that's nice to have a little bit more room to grow. Uh, you can get four times the storage, four terabytes. Gets runs about a hundred bucks. And to me, four terabytes is probably the sweet spot right now. Then they have more. They have eight and twelve, and you can go even higher um, on the storage, and it gets more expensive as you go up. This is all going to be for those prices. This is all all going to be magnetic spinning drives. These are not going to be SSDs. And that's okay. Like I said, that the performance is going to be fine. You're going to be okay. It certainly would be better to have a faster drive and a faster connection to it, but it's going to work. It's absolutely going to be fine. You're going to have a, a good editing experience with that kind of a drive. Now, if you can afford it, I do want to mention the SSD choices. Uh, there's, again, several, ven- several manufacturers that ha- offer SSD drives. They are significantly more expensive. Um, the Toshiba makes a really good one and, and I, I can recommend the Toshiba drives, but my personal favorite is from SanDisk. It's the SanDisk extreme portable and, um, it's for the one terabyte version. So in the, in the magnetic spinning world, it was 50 bucks. It's more than double, almost four times as much at $170 to get the one terabyte version. And then the two terabyte version, which is what today it maxes out as you can't get it anything bigger than two, it's a whopping $340 for one of those drives. Um, Now, you could buy one of those to do your editing on and then buy another two terabyte drive that's the magnetic spinning kind for the $70. That would totally work. You do not have to have the same type of drive for both solutions. Your backup drive can be the slower, less expensive solution, and then use maybe the SanDisk Extreme Portable for your primary drive where you're going to do all of your edits from. So that's that's a really, really good way to go about this. So you can save some money, but still have a totally functioning uh, backup kind of situation there. Um, again, I want to I want to mention these drives. Both the magnetic spinning drives and the SSDs, you got to think of them like time bombs. <laughs> once you get them, once you've bought them and you have them plugged into your computer, there's an internal clock that's clicking <laughs> and this thing is going to explode. And uh, and you just got to figure out how that's, that's what the whole backup solution is about. I want to make sure that if one, when it explodes, not if, when it explodes, and uh, not literal explosion, of course, but uh, when it fails, when the drive fails, that it's not going to, you're not going to have a massive problem. You have your images all backed up. Um, so, so think of it that way. Think of those drives in those terms that it's, it's going to fail. 
there are some things you can do to try to extend the life. So with magnetic drives, um, heat and jarring motions are the two primary enemies and the things that will reduce the life of your drive or especially can cause it to fail like even brand new. If it's really hot and gets like dropped on the ground, that can just brand new kill your drive. So uh, I, I can speak from experience. Yeah, you've done Dropping that? one on the ground. Oh, goodness. And did it die? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the problem was I was in a different country that doesn't sell hardly any hard drives like this. Yeah. And thankfully, there was some people that had an additional drive I could borrow for a while. But yeah, it was actually my main, my main uh, library. And I had a backup, of course, but I had it at home. Right, so, right. So you were stuck uh, way around on the road. It was, it was, it was pretty painful. Uh, to to deal with that but you know got through it it was all right and bought a new drive when i got home and restored everything it was good but still not not fun to go through yeah so you know that's something to keep in mind and these t- those two problems are less of an issue so ssds are are much more resilient to drops the way the technology works there's not spinning components inside of there um not mechanical pieces inside of there that can break if you drop it so it's way more resilient. It still can, of course, be a problem. If you dropped it off a building, I don't know the SSD is even going to survive very well. No. but And, and um, with this, it was a spinning drive. It, yeah. it just came off a table. So I accidentally brushed it off and it uh. just, boom, it just went. And so what is it, like two and a half feet that it fell onto a concrete floor and it was done. Yeah. Okay. So, so SSDs will do that. Heat is still not great for SSD drives uh, in general, like computer stuff, period heat is a problem. So we're always trying to get heat away and, um, and whatever you can do in your office, that's a consideration you should probably make just to make everything last longer is, uh, dealing with heat. If your room is really hot, your, your equipment is not going to last as long. Um, all right. So then the other thing that the advice I, I want to give with these drives, I highly encourage you to replace them every three years, maybe even a little short of three years. There is a reason most of these drive manufacturers offer a three-year warranty with the drives. It's uh, because they they just tend to not last much past that. Three years of use. Now, that's three years of mostly constant use. And if it's not plugged in all the time, you might get a little more time out of it. Although, if it's not plugged in for a really long time, you have a different problem and it might fail. So, it's it's kind of tough. So, just it, it to me, it's simplest, easiest to think of it like three years. And to track it, I put a label on it of some kind about when I bought it, when I got it so that I know when three years is up and I can look at the drive and see my label and go, okay, well, this one's two and a half years. It might be time to replace it right now while I'm thinking about it. Um, so I don't have to worry about it. Or if you're maybe even set a appointment for yourself on your phone for three years out to replace, I don't know, whatever's going to work for you to replace them. I highly recommend doing it every three years, even if it's not showing any signs of trouble, because they can go from totally working to complete failure overnight. <laughs> it can just happen. So um, although usually there is a little bit of an indicator these days, the, the computer tends to be able to tell a little bit about it, but it, it's, it can be such a problem. And it's so it's such a, a hard thing when it fails, even if you have a yes. totally good, backup even if you're super confident you've got three two one totally implemented it can be a couple weeks in some cases depending on how you're using these things before you're back and that that's a problem (laughs) that's not something anyone wants to face so 
three years, upgrade, uh, you know, buy new versions of the drive. By the time three years has passed, they'll be cheaper, better versions anyway. So, um, so it's, it's a good kind of advice. I think, um, it, that, that will help you help you do this. Okay. Now, now that we've talked about all of that, Brent, and now I want to talk about how do you actually get backup to happen between these drives? We, we talked about, okay, yeah. you, you need to buy at least two so that you can get the two different mediums portion of it. And then we're going to talk about online in more detail in just a second here. But what do you do? What would you recommend for making sure that the backup is actually taking place uh, now that you have two drives? Yes, it's definitely important to have some kind of software manage this because doing it manually is just going to, I think, would drive anyone crazy trying to do this manually. So getting some kind of software to manage this, I'm on a Mac system and I currently use Time Machine. And I'm sure you can tell us that Windows has some good solutions too as um, for, for these backups. But since I don't use Windows, that's not something I can speak to. But some type of software is what you want. And the thing about Time Machine is that it is extremely easy to use and it also supports multiple backup volumes. So if you were to have your main drive and then you were to literally have two backup volumes, it supports that idea where you can plug it in and say, okay, I'm going to take this off site for a week, two days, whatever the case is, and I'll bring it back. And and then it's just your backup on that offsite backup is like two days old, a week old, whatever it is. So you do have that kind of idea where you could get the aging backup, but it's just so easy. Mm-hmm. However, the downside to, because all you do is you plug it in, it just works right, and you right. tell it which drive that you want to make sure is on the hard drive or on the backup, I should say, and it just works. And it, it's just so easy uh, to get those iterations of the file uh, because it'll save iterations as you make changes. It'll be able to save those changes uh, over time. But the downside to it, to something like Time Machine, is that it does take forever to restore an entire drive. So it's really great for, oh, I mess up on that one file and I need to restore that. So you just click a button, it's restored in two seconds and it's so easy to to be able to do that. But if you have that entire drive, that's where it just, you got to sit there for hours, it seems, and usually is the case, to get that going and to restore that drive. So like when I came back uh, from that damaged hard drive, I bought another one. I had to name the hard drive the exact same that I had uh, the previous hard drive named. And then you plug it in and then you can sit, hit, okay, all these files, please bring them back. (laughs) And so then it brings them back. So what I'm likely to change to, and I think you're going to talk about, is actually a drive cloner when I upgrade my computer, because I'm looking at doing that this summer. So a drive cloner will probably be a lot easier because I don't have to go through that whole process of restoring my whole drive. It's just there. And it's just another copy of that drive. And I really like that idea. Yeah, there's... uh, So when you buy buy a big external i think they, they a lot of the manufacturers term it like a desktop drive these yeah. are not the the small two and a half inch sized drives these are the the much bigger drives and usually require like uh, a power connection go to the drive too rather than just getting the power from the usb drive when you buy one of those there's usually software for both mac and pc on the drive that will do this for you they will it will back up your files you can tell it which drives, which other drives besides it you want to have backed up and it'll back up to it. And it works just like you said. Time Machine, I think, is a little more elegant and, and better built to handle this kind of scenario. It's built right into the operating system and 
and I think is a little a, a lot better solution than this free software that you get on a on a drive when you buy it. But that that is a possible solution for PC users. And if that's the one you want to go for because the price was right, it was free, <laughs> then great. As long as you're doing something, you know, and as long as you're you're making three, two, one happen, then awesome. You know, whatever solution is going to work for you. Um, the problem I have with all of those types of software, like you said, it's it's making like compressed backups and it's it's doing it in almost a proprietary format. You can't actually get to the files themselves. I don't know if Time Machine does Time Machine work that way. Can you browse to a specific file? And, no, it's yeah. it's really complicated. If you if you open up the backup uh, volume, I guess we call it. Yeah. Uh, it, it you have your hard drive. It goes into what they call a backup folder, and right. then all of it is in there. And because it gets copies every hour on the hour for twenty four hours, and then every day for a week, and then every week for a month, uh-huh. you have all these different iterations or copies of the file right. that aren't actually copies of your file. And right. So the system knows what it's doing, but if you were to go in there and try and manually dissect it and find your files you're not going to get your file right. you got to go through the time machine which system. tends to confuse people because then they go there and like where the heck is my where are my files i don't even understand yeah. what's going on here and i mean it's it's doing it for a purpose it's saving space it's making it yeah. so that you don't have to have like you said every hour on the hour every to- for 24 hours in a week that's a lot of copies and if you had a full copy of say your raw file for every one of those you're going to run out of storage really fast. Oh, that's yeah. going to that's going to be a massive problem. So these systems are built to compress things down, make it so that your backup can be as little as possible, as small as possible storage-wise. And but then it means like you said to get it back out, you got to go through the software, you've got to do a restore process. It's not trivial or easy. If you want just a single file, it's complicated to do that. And so the the solution that I'm going to recommend is different from that. I I don't like any of those solutions for photographers. It's going to work. And if that's the only thing you can do, do it. Backup is, is the critical piece here. But the way I'm going to recommend it is like, like we were talking about a cloner. And it's not a, it's not a uh, like bite for bite on the hard drive cloner. This is a cloner that kind of watches your, your one external drive. We're gonna, I'm going to call it your primary drive. The one that you're using to where you copy your fo- your your photos to, um, and that you're working from, and really that's all all these solutions make you think about, which is another thing I really really like. I don't have to worry about it; it's just happening. And so, <clears throat> so you have these two external drives. One's primary, the other is backup. And I'm never really thinking about going to the backup unless something bad happens. That's going to be the the key to me. Then there's two pieces of software I can recommend for either the Mac or the PC. Um, one is called Carbon Copy Cloner for the Mac, and there'll be a link in the show notes if, if you can't remember that. It should be pretty easy, though, Carbon Copy Cloner. And the other is, it's I'm not sure how you pronounce it because they they kind of made a, a play on the word here, but it's it looks like backup, but it's B-V-K-U-P for Windows. I know that's weird name for software, but I love it. I have been using it for um, almost a little over a year now, and it's it's awesome. I, I just love this software. Uh, what both of these will do then, the idea is you tell it to watch the primary drive. You say, I want you to, to be watching this drive, and when changes get made, whether I'm updating files or I'm adding files, I want you to replicate that to the backup drive. 
and it works really seamlessly. It is really, really good. Most of them have an option to just always be doing it. As soon as you copy a file to the primary drive, the software is going to kick in and copy that file over to the backup drive. But you can even make it delay, which is I, I prefer that option to say, that's okay. Give it like an hour. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with losing an hour's worth of fi- files. I'll still have them on my memory card, for example. And, um, and so every hour, sync it up. And then I won't have anything like utilizing my uh, USB connection or my Thunderbolt connection to do something beyond what I'm doing in my photos. Um, you can set it up to be only once a week or once a day. There's lots of options usually with any of this software. So that's the, the, the one I prefer because it's, it's easy to set up. And it, it, the end result is you have your files out there on the backup drive exactly like you see them on your primary drive. There's no weird software you have to go through to restore a file. If you, if you, even if you accidentally deleted it, and that's another option you can usually set up, are you going to synchronize deleting files over to the backup drive? You're going to have to think about that. If, if you accidentally delete a file, do you want that replicated to the backup or is it okay to waste a little bit of the backup space and keep all of the files, which is how I prefer it. I have my backup drive be a little bigger than my okay. primary drive so that deletes don't get replicated. They don't get um, cloned over to the backup. And I just have every file there was. That's that's one of the beauties of Time Machine is if as long sure. as you have a big enough drive, it will keep it around, you know, for, for quite a while. And it's like, oh, I, I can just go back into that folder. I can see the, the, the thing. I click on the file. I hit restore. It brings it back to life. And all is good with the world once again. Um, so sure. if, if this, if, does Carbon Copy Cloner also allow you to, to not delete the drive? Yes. So that's one of the concerns I've been having about a, clone, a, a drive cloner is just if I delete something, eventually it'll be automatically deleted there on that clone as well. Right. Um, yes, yes, there is. There's even, I, I don't have quite as much experience with carbon copy cloner cause I mostly use my PC for all of my photo editing. So I'm way more familiar with backup BVKUP, sure. however you say it, the look, <laughs> I don't know. Yes. It's really weird. It's hard to, to talk through it. Um, yeah, but, um, that one even has an option. If you want, you can even have versioning happen so that okay. it will, but again, that's going to make a full copy of the next version of the file. It's not really going to, um, to, to do like those other types of backups where it's compressing it and, and only yeah. tracking the changes too. So um, right. anyway, there's, there's good options there. I, I don't care which one you choose, just back up. That's the biggest point out That's of all right. of this. Back up, find what is going to work for you. For Now, the reason I, I like this software, and Brent, you talked about, like if you, you could do it manually, but we neither of us are recommending that. Because even if you have really good intentions and you think, well, I can save myself some money. I don't have to buy it because this is all licensed software that I just talked about. You have to go buy it. It's not very expensive, but you do have to buy it. Um, it, it you think, I'm, I'm going to save myself some money. This is not that big a deal. I'll just manually copy this stuff over. I, You're not going <laughs> to. You're not going to do it. I promise you, you are not going to do it. You might at the beginning... Be very consistent with it. Maybe you set alarms on your phone to help you remember, but it, it's going to get harder and harder to remember to do that. You're going to get more and more busy, especially as you get further and further down that path toward mastering your photography. It's not a good solution to, to have it be there. The automated, the software is totally worth 
the price it takes to license it so that you can have an automated solution. And I, I highly recommend that in across all of this. The, to me, for me, the only way 321 happens is if it happens without me. <laughs> if I have to rely on myself, like Brent, you were talking about you, you can take a drive to your office. Even if I had that, I know I wouldn't do it often enough. I know I wouldn't <laughs> back up to that drive and take it to the office or remember to take that drive back home once in a while, refresh it and take it back. That's just, yeah, it's not going to work for me. I, I always have the drive on me. It just, it's oh. always, every day it's plugged into both computers. Every day that I'm at work, it's plugged into both computers. So there's, it's just part of my habit. And so, uh. yeah, it works beautifully for me, but certainly whatever situation people have, that's what we need to you know, make sure we're working around and, and considering. All right. So if you're like Brent, fine. We don't, like we said, whatever is working for you, just make sure it's working. If you're more like me, where there's no way you'd remember to do that, that's just not a very good solution. And I need to automate everything, every part of this for it to actually be happening. Um, so, so consider all of that. Consider your, your own person. <laughs> Are you the type of person that can be like Brent and take it back and forth <laughs> or not? I, I, I know I'm not. I, I've heard other people say, well, okay, what I'll do is I'll buy three drives, not just the two. I'll buy three. And that third drive, I'll make a copy of everything. And then I'll put it at my friend's house, you know, that's maybe, you know, blocks away at least from my house. Or I'll put it at my, my family's house. And, uh, and I go visit every time I visit my family, I'll, I'll refresh it and I'll, I'll, I just, to me, that doesn't work. <laughs> Even that, no, I, that would not work for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, go ahead and try it, but I, I just think it's, it's going to be a problem. It's not going to really happen. You know, you, you may feel guilt every time you go to your family's house that way. Like, oh no, I forgot my drive again. <laughs> I didn't bring it when I came this time to visit. So I, I did try that for a little while. My my uh, wife's, my in-laws lived in Washington and we did that for a, a few times. Not when I was into photography. This was before I got into photography. I was just worried about losing anything that I had on my computer. So I would, before we, we made the the big drive from Utah to Washington, I'd buy a drive, brand new one. I'd copy everything onto it and take it up there. And uh, and that was okay, but I was buying drives every time I went. It's kind yeah. of expensive because <laughs> uh, there's no way I'm like, you know, getting it back from them and then doing it. So and I, I probably could have done two drives and then just switched when I got anyway. It, it's not a good, good solution. I totally abandoned it because it was like, this isn't working. I forgot it many times and yeah, that's not good. All right. So that that's this is all the the simpler easier solution the other thing that you can do to buy yourself more time you could start off with the the lower sized drives the one terabyte size and then as you get more and more photos and you fill that up and you you could go to like a four terabyte and then fill that up you go to those bigger desktop versions of the external drives and go to eight or twelve you can buy yourself quite a bit of time and honestly that's still where i am at is that where you're at too brent Totally is. Yeah. I I happen to be a very stringent editor, you know, when I delete the ones that I'm not keeping. So I actually, my, my library is quite small compared to uh, how long I've been shooting, at least digitally, and in, in the scans I have from the film days. But one of these days, I'm certainly going to need to go ahead and pony up and, and get to a larger one. But right now, everything fits on one external 
two terabyte and one external one terabyte. Uh, I have them separated. So the catalog is on the faster SSD. Right. And then the the rest of the edited, and those are what I call my keepers, not necessarily are they fully you know, edited in the develop module, but those are my keepers. Those are on the spinning drive. Right. Okay. So um, I'm all the way, I have, I keep too much. I know I do. <laughs> I know <laughs> I keep too much, but it's just hard for me to delete any of the stuff I've taken. It's, it's taken so much to get those images that I just have yeah. a hard time deleting them. <laughs> I should. I, I, it's in my workflow. I mark the ones that are not keepers, so it wouldn't be hard in Lightroom to just go zap them. Um, but I just have a hard time <laughs> with doing that. So I've kept a lot of images, and I could slim it down a lot, but I'm over four terabytes in my photos. Um, so And then another, another, I don't know, I can't remember how big the catalog is now, but it's, it's fairly large. So, um, so it, it, but it's totally workable. I, I'm using a desktop PC. I can add internal drives and I do. Um, and so I, I have tons of storage available to me and uh, the automatic software backing up internally and then using Backblaze to, to, to back up to the cloud. But you can go, like we said, four, eight, 12 terabyte drives are available. You can get by a long time with two 12 terabyte drives. Oh yeah, and uh, and have this work. Uh, the online piece might become a little more challenging at that point. Point, and if you do video, all of this stuff changes. Like 12 oh, terabytes goodness. for video is nothing. So <laughs> we're not talking about videographers here or what you're doing for video solutions. I feel for those folks because they use so much storage. That it's uh it's a massive problem for them to figure it out. And they, this kind of a solution won't last almost a you know very long at all for a videographer. And, and I've just scratch started scratching the surface with that with my with the course that I did yeah. and just other plans I have this summer. Yeah, it's I, I'm looking at changing everything up this summer because I'm starting to incorporate more and more video and Oh, it's going to get expensive. <laughs> yes. Okay, so let's talk about that and and, and wrap up the show here. We're, we were yeah. already gone long. So yeah. just to, to briefly describe it, because we, we can't go into the detail. I wanted to cover the other, the less expensive, simpler solution first, because that's where I think most of the listeners are going to be. But you're eventually going to have to have bigger storage. You're going to eventually probably outgrow this kind of a solution. And the point at which I think you should consider it would be when you are starting to entertain more than two drives. <laughs> if you're starting Absolutely. to say, okay, let's see, I, what I could do is I could store a year's worth of photo on this drive and everything else from the past on the others. And then every year, I'll just get a new external drive and rotate. This is the kind of scheme I've, I've heard from listeners before. I tell you what, I again, I think that's going to be a massive issue for you. Finding the right drive, even if you're trying to do a good job of labeling things, how do you remember what year you took a specific photo if you need to get to? There's so many problems with it. I just highly recommend you don't go to that. If it can't all fit on a single drive, uh, then then you need to find a different solution. It, I, it's just going to be so much better across everything to make that work. Now, if it works for you to do that scheme that I just talked about, great, whatever. That's fine. As long as you're backing up. That's the key point to get out of this episode. You need to be backing up and it needs to be a solution that is actually working and has all the elements of 321. If you don't have all of that, something that's actually working and all of 321, you don't have a backup. You don't have a backup solution and you need to fix that. Okay, so the more complicated solution, we're just going to touch on it here. Not even going to go into any detail. If you want more information about it, go search for Photo Taco, search for backup, and there's tons of information I have out there on this stuff. I go through this in a lot of detail. There's basically two types of 
bigger storage available to you. Brett alluded to RAID earlier, and I have a photo talk episode about RAID too, so you can go, you can go search on that. Um, so we, you have something called direct attached storage, which is what USB is. It means you're plugging the, the drive bay. That's, that's what we need to call it as a drive bay because there's more than one hard drive that's going to go into this device. You're, directing, you're, you're directly connecting it to your computer through a cable. Um, USB does exist, but there's also Thunderbolt and um, it, those kind of connections. And they're, they're really fast. They can offer huge amounts of storage, but you can't share it with anything else, which is going to be fine for most photographers. There's not usually needing to have other computers access that that storage. So that's going to be okay. And that's the preference of lots of photographers because of the speed. It's really, really fast, offers massive amounts of data, but then you kind of need two, right? (laughs) That's where I have a massive problem with this because even though a RAID system can kind of internally back stuff up, you, you can make it so that it's replicating the data across multiple drives that, that's not a three, two, one solution. That's not two different mediums. That doesn't count for even the two. That's only one. You still need to consider that as only one copy of your image in a true three, two, one scenario. Yeah. You can cheat it a little bit and say, okay, it's my image is actually on three different drives inside of that raid system. Right. <laughs> right. It's, it's there. It's on those. But when one drive fails, especially because you tend to buy all these drives at once, Another drive might not be far along, far behind it. And if you lose two of those three drives, you've now lost every image, not just the toast. Yeah. Every single image is gone. So there's, there's high risk in this. If you're on it, if you have like, as soon as a drive fails and you're replacing it, as soon as it does, then your risk goes down. If you try to keep it cool, like we've talked about, um, then, then having a massive storage failure all at once, um, may not happen but if it does if you lose more than a couple of of those drives at once you lose every single thing on the on the system you cannot get it back well you could try to pay a recovery service to get some of your drives back it's going to be super expensive but if if it's even possible um so there's there is a danger there and it just you shouldn't consider that in real terms i probably am going to have to consider it three my two copies but in real terms, if it's super important, this is your business, the heartbeat of your your living, you're going to need two of them. You're going to need two of these direct attached storage systems like a Drobo, you know, two of them and, and replicate between them. Then you have your two copies. Uh, the other part of it is something called a NAS. It's network attached storage. So the way you connect it to your computer is through a network cable, uh, like an Ethernet cable. They can do Wi-Fi too, but boy, you talk about slow. Ooh. That's going to be really, <laughs> really That'd bad. Be rough. Yeah. That's is Wi-Fi is there for a different purpose. It is not there so that you can copy your files to the system. Um, all right, so so NAS is another great solution. It again offers putting it in multiple drives in there. You're gonna set up a, a RAID array, and same exact same problem is gonna be there. Again, you can't really consider that two copies of your files. Um, so another way you could do this would be something like, well, I'm gonna have. I'm going to have my DAS or NAS big RAID system. And then I'm going to have one large, like 12 terabyte normal external drive. That's going to be my second copy for my more recent work and try to try to make it so that your backup is segmented 
by you know a few years at a time or something like that. Your second copy is your primary copies on either direct attached or then has storage, something like that. Um, you, you know, you can try to do some schemes like that and that's, that's totally going to work. Just again, two copies of it locally across different devices and then one to the cloud. And that's where the cloud solution is going to be not too bad for the smaller drives, those four terabyte, one terabyte, they're, they're going to be okay. But if you are producing content so quickly that you're filling up those drives, it's going to be tough, at least in the U S for most of the places to uh, to get bandwidth and and make and speed enough to have that keep up, and that's going to be it's going to be a challenge to make that work. Um, a, a lot of the solutions NAS and DAS these big RAID systems offer some kind of built-in thing where once you put something on them, they also back up to a cloud storage solution. So that's a good feature that's there. It's just if if you're producing tons of data really fast, it might be hard for that to actually keep up. And I don't, there isn't a great solution for that. Is there anything you would recommend there, Brent? No, there really isn't uh, as far as the convenience factor, you yeah. know, because when you do activate that backblaze, it's going to take, some people have reported two months for that backup to get finalized because it just, your your internet service provider just throttles your backup. And that's just something you kind of just let it go, let it, let it work on it. Uh, with the direct attached storage, there are some units now, you, you're certainly going to pay some money, but like QNAP, they do, if you have multiple computers, they do have the same device that you can collect, connect via Thunderbolt uh, to, to two or three computers, but those are so expensive and they are almost their own operating systems already because they'll support their own monitor and it's it's like their own, their own computer that's their own purpose, their only purpose is for backing up. So. Uh, something like that is something that I'm kind of looking at, but still it's so expensive. I think I'm going to have to go scale it back and just get a standard RAID drive. And and hopefully that will serve my purposes. Number one, it'll be fast enough for hopefully video, but then it'll be big enough so I can put a few videos on there and not run out in, in a short time. So yeah. it, it gets really complicated and I'll be doing a lot of research myself over the summer to figure out exactly how I'm going to approach that. But something has to happen when you're expanding your volume and you're expanding your, your uh, file storage needs. So uh, it's a good place to start though. If all you have is questions about this after we've talked through it, go check out the photo talk <laughs> episodes. I go into yes. way more detail on those. And, and so I recommend you go check those out. All right, let's, let's end this, wrap this up right now. You got to get going anyway. So what is your yeah. dude out of the week? So my doodad is actually an Apple MacBook Pro. They just announced an update, and I'll get the 15-inch model with eight cores, and I'm going to go ahead and grab the 32 gigs of RAM as well. And uh, what's interesting to me on this one, I think about a year ago, Jeff, we talked about the the greatest, latest and greatest update uh, for the, the MacBook Pros. And my response, you know, your question was, are you going to upgrade? I'm like, no, I'm not. And... <laughs> Uh, we got a little bit of heat in the uh, sure. in the Facebook group, which is you know totally wonderful. That's fine. Uh, but my only reason was it just wasn't time to upgrade. And quite frankly, it's still not time to upgrade, except for my boss needs an upgrade. So she's actually going to take my current machine, and I'll g- grab one of these new ones. And I'm really looking forward to it because the video editing capabilities, because they have really nice video cards in them. Uh, with these eight cores. So not only do you get eight core processing, but you get the extra video uh, rendering capabilities. I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to sc- 
scream past my uh, little Mac mini that's in my home office. And I'll be just like, the Mac mini is good for email and, <laughs> and internet <laughs> stuff only now because it's just going to be a screaming machine on that MacBook Pro. But I'm really looking forward to getting that. Uh, I won't be getting it for another couple of weeks. Just things are just so stinking busy. I won't have time to transfer over to a new machine. But once I get this, that's where I'm going to start looking at also getting the cloner going because I need to have a bootable clone. Uh, I can't I can't afford any downtime. So I'm going to get myself a bootable clone and then my backups uh, for my images. I'll probably start going that route too to where I just have a, an exact clone rather than something that I need to wait for hours and hours to get it restored. Right. Okay, my doodad is free. So... <laughs> yay yours not is like forty five hundred dollars you know, like mine yeah not forty five hundred dollars <laughs> like yours yeah. uh it is we've talked a lot about uh, calibrating your display and um there's some software is some open source software called display cal that i i've wanted to try out for a while and i finally took some time to do that part of the troubleshooting and testing of what i saw in the uh difference in display or sorry develop versus loop view in lightroom um, some of the people had suggested my my calibration stuff was a problem. So I decided, okay, it's time to go find out about this software and see how it goes. Uh, you can get it for free over at displaycal.net. It works with both the data color and X-Rite uh, spectrometers, the, those hardware devices. So um, the, the software is not as easy to use. I will say that right up front, of course. That seems to be kind of the penalty you pay, pay for free is... Um, it's complicated. It gets a little more complicated. So um, at first, the results that I got were really bad, <laughs> really, Uh-oh. really terrible uh, until I read through some of the technical documentation. And there's a actually a little bit of a calibration you have to do between the software and the hardware device that you're using. And uh, and then, then it was fine. Then it worked out great. But uh, not completely trivial like it is if you use the software that comes with your calibration device which of course is going to be pretty easy to use the difference primary difference that i've seen between the two is how thorough a job this display cal software does it takes um and they they say that right in the in the documentation of the software that's the primary difference is how many samples it will take so hmm. i i can use the uh, the software that came with my color monkey display device and it'll take i don't know maybe five between five and 10 minutes to do a, a full calibration. And it took more than a half hour for da- oh display my. cal to go through it. And you know, they, they, the, what they say is this just produces way more consistent and better results. And I've kind of seen that as I have done calibration between like a laptop and my desktop and I have them sitting side by side. They don't look identical. They don't have exactly the same, uh, like one might look a little, um, cooler or a little warmer, compared to the other just a little it's not far off but it's enough that i can tell the difference for sure as i'm looking between the two even though they're both calibrated with the same device and um, now that i use display cal they're identical they look exactly the nice. same and it's because they it just does a more thorough job and, and sets it up how it should be so it takes longer which so the the more expensive calibration devices are faster and that it makes it so it doesn't take that long, but it's okay. I, what I've done is I set it up to, to calibrate and then I'm off doing something else for a while and it will make sure that your computer won't go to screensaver while it's running. And so if it takes half hour. That's fine. Just goes and does this thing for a half hour. When I come back, it had already gone to screensaver and it says, all right, profiles all done. It's updated. So it does a, it's, it's really cool. 
You can check it out. Again, it's not as easy to use. So I'll say that right up front. It's definitely nerdier than the <laughs> software that comes with, with your calibration device. That sounds good, though. I like the fact that it, while it, I don't like the fact that it takes so long, but the fact that it's more accurate, that's yeah. something that is really intriguing. And I'll go ahead and I'm going to start playing with that myself. Yep. I actually haven't done that one, so I, I like it. Yep. Very cool. All right. Just quick reminders, masterphotographypodcast.com is where you're going to find everything. We mentioned a few things that we'll have links to in the show notes, and that's where you'll find the show notes for the episode. We mentioned our Facebook group. That's Master Photography Podcast. You can go search for that. You do have to answer those questions to get in. My Instagram account, or sorry, for to see my work, uh, jsharmanphotos.com. If you want us to go check out that. Check out my other podcast, phototacopodcast.com. And uh, you can find all my social media links. I won't say it here because it doesn't really matter. Go find them in the show notes for my social media stuff. Brent, where can people find you? Well, there's actually a couple places you can find me in the real world. In late July, I'm going to be doing a listener meetup at uh, somewhere in Denver. I haven't figured it out yet. I put a request out there in the Facebook group for some ideas. And so once I figure it out, I'll make another announcement. Excellent. But look, look for me there in Denver in late July. And then also I've got a new workshop I just released on the Oregon coast. So if that interests you, check it out on my website. And we're, that's brentbergherm.com. And then again, with the social media type stuff, just search my name. And then you can also listen to Latitude Photography Podcast. I've got a fantastic interview coming up with a bag manufacturer. And I've asked people, you know, give me the questions that you would ask a bag manufacturer. So I've got someone coming on uh, from Think Tank Photo uh, coming up in one of my future, very close future episodes. So that's coming up as well. So it's all there starting at brentbergham.com and then latitudephotographypodcast.com. Excellent. All right, listeners, thank you so much for hanging on through this episode. I hope that the episode is going to make you think about backup because it's super important. Don't lose your babies. (laughs) Those those photos that you've worked so hard to create. Go back up and make sure it's a 321 automated solution so that it will actually happen. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you again in another seven days.